0: morning, the message is on Philippians, based on Philippians 3, verses 12 to chapter 4, verse 3. We'll read that together. That's on page 981. Continuing the theme of rejoicing in the Lord and not in ourselves. Hear the word of the Lord, Philippians 3, starting at verse 12. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Many of us have had the opportunity, the experience, of being citizens of a country that is not the one we are presently living in. We give ourselves away by our accent, by our food preferences, by our values, and sometimes even by our clothes. Many members of the congregation in Philippi experienced the same thing. For although they had been given their retirement plot of land and home in in the city of Philippi, they considered themselves to be citizens of Rome. Rome was far away from Philippi. They would tell you, if you asked them, they would say, Our citizenship is in Rome. And they would let this be known by the style of their home, the clothes they wore, their interest in Roman politics, and perhaps even by their accents. In our text today, with his mind on the resurrection of the body and entrance into heaven, you can see he talks about that in verses 10 and 11, the apostle explains that heaven means to Christians what Rome means to many Roman soldiers in Philippi not only are Christians eager to to get to heaven someday where they will feel most at home but their love for their heavenly homeland determines how they live today as Christians you can see where our citizenship is we we consider ourselves to be pilgrims here on the earth, as we also read about in Hebrews 11. We are unwilling to attach ourselves overly or too closely to to the things of, of this earth or to everyone who we will leave behind. We're always looking up toward heaven as we prepare ourselves for the resurrection from the dead. We know that the way has been opened up for us in, in Jesus Christ alone. And so, letting go of that proud dependence on the rubbish of our own works, we place our trust in our Lord Jesus Christ, who has taken hold of us and set us on that journey to our heavenly homeland. And I preach you this gospel under that theme Christians are on their way to their heavenly homeland. You'll see the call, the journey, and the expectation. So if you have your Bibles open in front of you, you can see from Philippians 3, verses 1 to 11, the type of language that Paul uses. He uses words like, that I may. He uses words like gain and attain. And he's showing that Christians live destination-focused lives. We are on the move chapter 2 verse 25 he speaks of he uses soldier imagery chapter 3 verse 2 he tells us to look out for distractions along the way and in chapter 3 as well he's, he's talking about what he counts as important as loss and what he counts as gain he's seriously evaluating what is helpful for him on the journey to make it clear That those who believe in Jesus Christ are are always thinking on that eternal dwelling place, even while they're still here on the earth. That imagery of, of striving forward as a united body of humble followers of Jesus Christ that was given in the verses before our text, it's continued in Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14. Except now the Holy Spirit is very clear about why we are pressing on. Why we're destination focused. In verse 12 we read, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Rather than say, I am destination focused or I want to follow Christ because I'm such a good person. Or because I weighed things carefully and came to the rational conclusion that Christianity is better than Judaism Paul emphasizes the work of Christ that stands behind his striving and since all the verbs in this verse are based on a root word related to to taking hold of something the sense of verse 12 could be expressed not that I have already taken hold of it, but rather I press on to take hold of it because Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. And the meaning is similar to 1 John 4, verse 20. We love because he first loved us. And it's a statement that makes us sure that we will make it to our destination. The Christian faith, heavenly joy, the resurrection, they do not depend in the first place of us being able to, to take hold of all the right things. So Paul was trying to do when he was living as a zealous Jew, but rather, it depends on Christ taking hold of us. And Paul, experience this in a very personal way Uh, when he was called by Christ Jesus when he was on his way to Damascus. You can read about that in Acts 9, a little man or a man walking down a path and, and Jesus Christ seeing him and talking to him directly from heaven. But the Holy Spirit does not want us to think that that was a unique experience for Paul, that, that being taken hold of by Christ is something just for apostles. The Bible says that Christ took hold of all those whom his Father had given him out of the world. You can read about that in his high priestly prayer, or John 10, verse 29. Romans 8, verse 30, explains the, what's called the golden chain and applies it to every Christian believer who ever lived. There we read, Those whom he predestined, he also called, took hold of them. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Every one of us can, can think of ourselves using the imagery of Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2, where believer Zacharias compared to a a smoking brand or or a a burning stick that's snatched from the fire Christ Jesus took hold of us He, he he took us to himself and then characterizing the life of all Christians who have gained Christ those who are found in him who are part of his body the Apostle Paul says in verse 14 I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When Christ takes hold of us, God works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure, like we read about in Philippians 2, verse 13. He makes us desire to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have received. The upward call of God is, is like a big magnet that powerfully and effectively draws us to himself through Jesus Christ, the door to the heavenly homeland. Even as we are pressing on, we're, we're fighting against sin and we're, we're seeking to stay faithful to the Lord, the Holy Spirit is, gives us the behind-the-scenes picture We see that in Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14. Behind the scenes of your striving, God is the one who takes hold of us. He is the one that is making us press on like an athlete in a race focused on the prize ahead. We're called upward to Him. The desire that He gives us to fully know Him even as we are fully known, the resurrection, those are the most important things in our life. You see that that focus of life under the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that explains why Paul speaks in chapter 3, verse 15. He says, those who are mature will think this way. They will live out of what Christ has attained. Verse 16 they will not be swayed to the left or to the right by minor matters that have nothing to do with that gospel of salvation and worship and and the sacraments but Paul explains even when it happens that not everyone in the congregation is mature in their faith and so completely focused on the prize Paul comforts the congregation to remind us, verse 15, if in anything you should think otherwise, God will reveal that to you, or that also to you. And then in Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3, we can see how God uses his servants in the communion of saints. He mentions his true companion to help his people agree in the Lord. In his exhortation to the women, Euodia and Syntyche, the Holy Spirit shows how we help each other to, to, to agree in the Lord by looking at the work that is being done. He says there's two considerations. The first thing we ask is, are, they, are we laboring on the same team? He's, he's talking about Euodia and uh, Syntyche, And he he says to them, these women labored side by side with me in the gospel. He's using imagery that talks about being on the same team, following the same captain. He said, that's what's important. The second thing that shows there's a reason for agreeing is that your names are written in the book of life. That's the big picture given by the Holy Spirit. He urges us to to stay focused on the important things, to hold true to what we have attained, namely a guaranteed entry through Christ into a heavenly homeland which stands ahead of us on our journey. The upward call of God in Jesus Christ pulls his children forward on the path that leads To a heavenly homeland, drawing the mature and the distracted stragglers together like a magnet draws all the pieces of metal to itself. Let us pay attention to his loving command to stand firm. That's in the first verse of chapter four stand firm throughout this journey toward the heavenly homeland that Christ has obtained. Because it is a journey. Like any journey, the Christian faith is always a combination of the not, or of the already, means what we have, and the not yet. Where we have come and, and what has to be done. A journey. Christians have already been taken hold of by Christ who calls us to himself, and we already have the Spirit as a guarantee of our eternal life in Jesus Christ alone. However, since part of the already contains a calling to continue to walk with God, and part of that already is having a Holy Spirit who is guiding us through this world by faith till Christ returns It's clear that there is also a not yet. We have been very blessed, but we have not yet been made perfect because we still are not able to glorify God with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. When Paul says that he he has not yet or not already obtained this, verse 12, that he does not, consider that he has made it his own. He is saying that he has not yet already obtained the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He has not yet suffered enough for Jesus Christ. He has not yet experienced the fullness of the power of Christ's resurrection and his own resurrection from the dead. It stands before him as something to aim for a destination although we can be certain that when christ took hold of us when christ made us a part of his body he also set us on the path that will bring us to the finish line we're sure of that we also know that we are not there yet although god is drawing us to himself through jesus christ there is still a lot of straining left on our journey home. In the imagery of verses 12 to 14, the, the, the picture that is given, it fits with any race style type competition that emphasizes the focus on a finish line. Every one of us at Children too, you can think of a time when you were in a race. and You can think of how you were just looking at the the finish line. He said, I'll race you to a tree. and, And you both took off running to see who could get to that tree first. We were focused on what was ahead. We were forgetting what lies behind. And that's the words that Paul uses to speak of the Christian life. Always focused on the destination. Focused on progress, on getting closer. Focused on spiritual progress. And so that comes out also in the family visits. They're not just social visits, it's it's a picture of the Church of Jesus Christ in the battle with the destination, helping one another to agree in the Lord and asking, How's the progress going? How have things changed from last year to this year? Christian church is always on the move forward always fulfilling God's desire for more people to worship him you can see that John 4 verse 23 always seeking to bring more glory to God praying the prayer of Philippians 1 verses 9 to 11 that we may abound more and more in our love for the Lord and for one another as long as we have not arrived at our heavenly homeland, Christians will never think that it's time to stop learning or stop serving or stop growing. I've done enough. We will never say. Paul urges us to forget what lies behind, not in the sense of never mentioning it. He himself mentions what uh, was what laid behind in his life as being a, a devout Jew, but in the sense of not allowing the past to impede our progress forward. And then again, think of that race and children. You know, even even if you tripped and, and you got back up, you don't sit there thinking, oh, too bad I tripped, and stop. You keep running to the tree. You keep going. You keep going forward. You forget the trip, and you run. Even those who apply themselves exclusively to perfection will not attain it in this life. The Christian journey is a constant striving. And we can see that although Paul had said that his confidence in his Jewish piety was misplaced and as useless as rubbish for helping him attain the resurrection from the dead, he does not conclude, and neither should we, that Christians must stop striving to serve the Lord when Christ takes hold of us he makes us want to imitate his obedience his resolute moving forward with the same attitude of humility as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling to quote Paul the Holy Spirit in Philippians 2 verse 12 and once we recognize that God sees us under the cover of Christ's righteousness. It it makes us eager to gain further knowledge of our Savior and his eternal power. Doesn't that describe your life? God sees me as righteous in Christ. I want to, to know him more. I want to know his power. I want to share in his suffering. And so Paul says, brothers, verse 17, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who Walk according to the example you have in us. Although we cannot obey the law enough to to earn our way into heaven, thus we depend on Christ's righteousness, this does not mean that the law is no longer good and holy and useful and that God will not punish those who live in disobedience to the law in proud rebellion. No Christian should ever conclude that they can love being enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ and still be saved by Jesus Christ. Verses 17 to 19, the Holy Spirit addresses the anti-law libertarians who stand as polar opposites of the Judaizers who depended on the law. If the Judaizers that we looked at last week, if they undermined the value of the cross like dogs and evildoers in Psalm 22 verse 16 by believing that they needed to, to replace or to add to Christ's work with their own good works, well the anti-law group, were enemies of the cross because they refused to nail their sinful nature to the cross. They they resisted the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. They, They spoke of grace and forgiveness, but they lived constantly in sin. They did not hate their sins. They did not feel sorrow over the way they offended God. They claimed grace and they claimed forgiveness, but they did not follow Jesus Christ, they did not focus their attention on their heavenly homeland. They too cannot claim the claims of verse three. They do not humbly cut off their sins in true circumcision. They did not worship by the Spirit of God as they glory in Jesus Christ, but they but they love the world and everything in the world and if you look at the text you can see that Paul uses the word many many live with God their belly as their God many glory in their shame many have their minds set on earthly things That little word many makes us think. What is our Lord Jesus Christ seeing among us here in Emmanuel? Is he seeing many people living for pleasure, for the pleasure of the moment, like the foolish persons referred to in the Proverbs, rather than living with eternal life in mind? Has the preaching of grace made us as parents, young people, friends, to forget that those who persist in careless disobedience to God's command will see, like Paul says, that their end is destruction? The warning that Paul gives in our text gives us some practical things to to think about when we wonder what it looks like to strain toward the prize. It's a question of focus. It's a question of what we are living for. And that affects our, our priorities. It affects how important we think personal comforts are right now child who, running to, to reach the tree. If a shoe falls off, he doesn't go back and, oh, i got to get that and everything. He, he says, I don't care. I'm going to keep running. But if he doesn't care, or like if any of us don't care, we'll, we'll think about right now the pleasure of the moment. And so we ask ourselves questions like that. Why do I want this career? Why did How can I show that I'm a citizen of heaven in the work that I'm doing? Or why do I like these friends? Is it because I can eat and drink with them now and and feel comfortable? Or is it because they lead me in a godly life to that destination, the presence of Christ? Where do you feel more at home? more happier, happier? Away from God's Word, away from His promises, surrounded by earthly things, or or, or straining forward together with all God's people toward the prize? Are you limiting your expectations of this life to what you can grab, take hold of right now? Or are you living as citizens of the heavenly kingdom? Paul elaborates on the prize that we are expecting, our expectation. The prize that we gain through the upward call of of God in Christ when he says that our citizenship is in heaven. The word citizenship has a sense of homeland or, or commonwealth and it points to heavenly headquarters. If our citizenship is in heaven, then you know what? We're exiles. We're strangers. In any other place that we might live in the universe, we're, we're on that journey. And many of us who work among people who do not believe, they can tell you how. Out of place, they feel. We have different goals. We have different priorities. We have different conversations. We have different things that are important in our lives. And and that's why we can also understand when the Holy Spirit says, We eagerly await, we are awaiting our Savior. We're, We're looking up, Come, Lord Jesus, come from our homeland. And what are we waiting for? We want to see our Savior come to rescue us from this body of death so that we might know him fully even as we are fully known. Our mortal human bodies, we read, that are made lowly by the effects of the fall into sin. They cannot inherit immortality. And so pointing to the day of judgment, one day our Lord Jesus Christ, we read, will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body a picture of the resurrected body and we notice as we think about what that would look like we ask what did Jesus glorious body look like what 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 will it be like And although we cannot say with certainty based on some glimpses of Christ's body after his resurrection as that's revealed at the end of the Gospels and the beginning of Acts and, and his revelation to John, we can note that we will still be recognizable as individuals. The people, the disciples, could, could see eventually that it was our Lord Jesus Christ. They could see visible scars of suffering on his body. He was able to eat. He was able to move about from one place to another very quickly in spite of locked doors. It's noteworthy that Paul uses the word transformed. It highlights the continuity of our souls, the continuity of our perceptions. We will always be in the Lord. And our full experience as individuals who can recognize that the race has been completed, the prize is real and visible. Paul is saying, you're straining, you're running, you're going to that prize, and when you get there, you will know it. You will have a a body that's changed, that's true, but it'll be glorious like Christ's body. And you will see your name individually written in the book of life. Your name that identifies you. Paul even uses the names Euodia, Syntyche, Clement. The names, your name, will be there too. The guarantee is Christ's power. It says he will be He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The greater power guarantees, the greater work guarantees the reality of the lesser work. Our lowly bodies will be glorified. And then he ends, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Nothing makes a servant of God more thankful than to see God's people in his care, standing firm in the Lord on the journey. Fathers and mothers who truly love their children will say the same thing to their children. The crown and joy of God's servants is not a person's success it's not a person's comfort in this life. It's not employment. It's not relationships. The crown and joy is that God's people believe in Jesus Christ and want to stand firm in him. We are on our way to a heavenly homeland. May God help us to stay focused and comforted in him. Amen.